partial funding for Fruit Bowl comes from patrons who donate through the Patreon crowdfunding platform. Thanks to Roger B., who has been a patron since December of 2019. Find out more at patreon.com slash fruitbowlpodcast. Welcome to Getting Fresh with Fruit Bowl. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Kwanick. In case you missed our first episode a few weeks back, Getting Fresh is a different format from my regular interviews that I uh, feature on Fruit Bowl. And this is just an opportunity for me to feature conversations I've had with people recently about current events and people who are doing cool things. The reaction from my first episode with my friend Paul about different ideas for uh, masturbation during the uh, coronavirus shutdown was was very popular. I got a lot of really positive feedback from it. So I'm going to just continue doing these. And I actually have one more Getting Fresh episode in the pipeline that I hope to uh, post within the next week. So this episode came about because I was recently given the opportunity to feature a panel on Fruit Bowl for the Seattle Translations Film Festival, which is a festival here in town that is dedicated exclusively to telling trans, non-binary, and genderqueer stories on film. They were very generous in uh, giving me the opportunity to um, do sort of a reunion with past Fruit Bowl participants who are in the trans, gender, queer, and non-binary communities. I think this is a really good opportunity for people to just listen to a a few different voices um, in one episode to get a kind of um, a taste of of different episodes that you might want to go back and, and revisit or listen to for the first time. I love doing these kinds of compilations because I think sometimes I forget that one of the goals of the Fruit Bowl project is to sort of connect the dots and to show, you know, community out of singular voices. As a cis, white, gay man, I know that our community often sucks up a lot of the oxygen in the room when it comes to talking about queer stories, and I really value the contributions made to my project um, from the trans community, so this episode is just a way to thank them and also to provide you with some insight and maybe some teasers to uh, individuals' episodes that you might want to go back and listen to. I will say that, unfortunately, the sound is not ideal because it is taken from a zoom recording maybe after five minutes you won't notice the the sound quality so much Uh, i certainly kind of got used to it while i was editing the uh, episode all right so here we go this is the fruit bowl panel from the translations film festival Thank you, everybody, for joining. I'm super excited for this panel. My name is Jonah Kozlowski. My pronouns are he and him. And I have been part of the Programming Committee for Translations this year. And I'm also the Education Manager at Northwest Film Forum. So we would like to acknowledge that in Seattle, we are on the traditional land of the Coast Salish people, including the Duwamish people, past and present. And we thank you and we honor you and the land itself. 
$3 Bill Cinema is working with Northwest Film Forum to bring you translations online this year, and we are super excited to have this partnership. So Kathleen uh, and I and the whole translation team are so happy to be joined by Dave Kwanick and Sam Berliner. And Sam, I'll hand it over to you for the rest of the introductions. Awesome. Thank you, Jonah. Um, hello, everybody out there in the wild world of the internet. It's really nice to be here. My name is Sam Berliner. I use he and they pronouns. Um, I ran translations as the festival director for seven years, and now I live in Boston. Um, and who would have thought that I would get to be a part of the festival in this way? And so, you know, there's a silver lining to the current situation. But yeah, I'm super glad to be here. Thank you to Kathleen and the whole programming team for doing amazing work and for inviting Dave and myself to present this to you all. So first off, I love Fruit Bowl, and I've been pretty obsessed with it since I very first heard about the project. Uh, I was one of the first interviewees and uh, co-host for that episode as well. And as a queer, transgender, queer person who really genuinely loves talking about sex now, which was not always the case, my participation in this project has really been a match made in heaven. So Thanks to all for making this possible, and we're excited to dive in. Uh, first off, I'm just going to let you all know that we have a bunch of people from the podcast here to chat with you today. Uh, we have Dave and Anders and Jai and Lee and RC, and it's going to be awesome. So Dave Quantic was born and raised in Kansas in 1973. He received his BFA in studio art slash photography at Southern Methodist University in Dallas in 1995. Uh, Dave lived in New York City for four years as a freelance photo assistant before moving to Los Angeles in 1999 to attend UCLA's graduate film school, and he graduated in 2004. Uh, Dave lived there in LA until 2016, and some really fun very impressive uh, career highlights are that he screened um, short films, eight short films in different Outfest film festivals. Uh, he also had films, films in Frameline, Newfest, and the Palm Springs Film Festival. Dave was also the little known to everyone fact. This is so cool. Dave was the cinematographer uh, for the documentary fe feature Vito. Um, about the legendary AIDS activist, the founding member of GLAAD, and the author of The Celluloid Closet, Vito Russo. Um, that film it was directed by Jeffrey Schwartz and premiered at the New York Film Festival and was bought by HBO, and it's a really big deal, and it's just so cool that Dave shot it. Um, so I'm sure that you can find that to watch online somewhere, and I strongly recommend it if you haven't seen it already. Dave moved to Seattle in 2016 to serve on the staff for the Twist Seattle Queer Film Festival, and that's when I met Dave. Um, and lucky for us, he decided to stay. And Dave continues to work as a freelance filmmaker and videographer in Seattle for a variety of clients. Um, he teaches occasional classes at the Northwest Film Forum in film production and editing and comedy sketch writing. And most recently, Dave joined the crosscut.com KCTS uh, full-time staff, which is Seattle's PBS affiliate as an in-house editor. So please join me in welcoming Dave. 
Uh, hey, Dave, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you so much for helping me do this. Absolutely. Dave, where are you right now? <laughs> I'm in my walk-in closet in my apartment in Seattle. And this is where the magic happens for Fruit Bowl. This is where my my sort of improvised studio for my apartment. Um, as we described in the first episode when I co-hosted with you, um, there's a lot of fun things in that closet. One thing that's here is my dog. She's she's giving me moral support. So Aww. she might jump up on my lap at any moment. We'll see. She can I be a little camera shy sometimes. <laughs> All right. Well, this is super exciting. Uh, Dave, can you tell us what is Fruit Bowl? Yeah, Fruit Bowl, um, for those people who haven't had a chance to check it out yet, it is a sort of a hybrid podcast and documentary film project that I started in the summer of 2018. And it's evolved from where it began. At first, I was just for a short film that I shot called Porn Yesterday for, for, for the Hump Film Festival, which is a porn film festival that's uh, sponsored by The Stranger here in town in Seattle. And then it tours uh, across the country. I'll go into that in a little bit. Um, but what, what Fruit Bowl tries to do is it's an attempt to record a kind of an oral history of queer sex. And I'm super passionate about that mission because I feel like queer people don't often have a, a platform to discuss sex with each other or with the greater population. I think sometimes we feel uh, a little bit insecure or that people will judge us for our sexuality and our actual sex lives um, in an attempt to be sort of palatable to the larger straight community. So I feel like often we don't really have get to have these conversations with each other. So really at, the, at its core, it's really about us talking to each other. And I feel like the podcast is an ideal format for this since it is such an intimate medium. It's something you can listen to very privately. And I, in the podcast, for each episode, I feature just one person's story and sexual history. And I do that by asking everybody I interview the same group of questions, which encourage each interviewee to kind of give an overview of their history from their early adolescence to now, and just sort of the process, how they evolved um, their particular sexual identity. And some of the things I ask them are what their background is, um, where they come from, if they had any queer relatives or friends, or what their family's attitudes were like about queer people. Then I ask, where did you first learn about sex? Descriptions of early experiences and explorations with other people. And also with yourself, of course, like when you first masturbated and something like that, which is usually a pretty funny story. <laughs> and first crushes, first loves, most embarrassing experiences, your best move in bed, and just reflections on how your life has changed from when you first realized you were queer to now, and sort of how different it is now dating and, and having sex as compared to when you first came out. So those questions, like I said, are, are pretty consistent from interviewee to interviewee, but the answers are so diverse, um, which is all, also, of course, what I love about the project is that every time I think I have somebody pegged, I always am surprised. So I love that aspect of discovery, and I feel like that that really does come through 
when you listen to the podcast. And I also think that the podcast is is awesome because you're so focused on what people are saying and not what they look like or where they are, you know? So there's a sort of a neutral baseline that, that starts out for every episode. You kind of, you don't know what to expect. So I, I like that. Um, each episode is around an hour and I interview people in their bedrooms. Um, most documentary filmmakers work for years and years and years on a project. And it's often not until they're finished that they really get to share it with the world. And and for me, that just, I didn't really want to do that. And I'll explain to you why. Okay, so in the summer of 2018, I got this idea to submit a short film for the Hump Film Festival. And for Hump, it can every film that's submitted to that festival has to be porn related or with porn content, but it can only be five minutes long. So before I even had an idea of what to do thematically, I decided to just interview my friends. So I found 18 people right here in Seattle who I could interview. And I I asked them kind of a reduced number of questions. Like my initial round of, of interviews weren't quite as detailed as they've become now. And I just kind of started collecting interviews from those people. And the theme of porn kind of emerged from those interviews, and which was perfect for Hump, right? Because it's a, a festival about porn. So I made the short porn yesterday. And what was a little disappointing to me was that I had interviewed 18 people for like an hour each, but I could only use a collective amount of five minutes of everyone's interviews. So I had these interviews that had amazing material in them, but I didn't particularly want to make a separate documentary film for each person. So I just thought of like the podcast as being an opportunity to really feature each one of those people's interview in a more comprehensive way. And so, yeah, I just decided to teach myself how to make a podcast, which was actually pretty easy to do. And I had all of the equipment that I needed to pull it off in the sense that I have recording equipment and I know how to format files, sound files for the podcast. So I made a website and I created 14 episodes from the interviews from the first round of interviews that I did for Hum. And those are what is included in the season one of Drupal. So after I wrapped season one, I started to really think how awesome it would be to eventually make a documentary feature film about this subject. But I knew that if I wanted to do that, I would have to have a much larger and a much, much more diverse group of interviewees because, and I freely acknowledge this, the the first round of interviewees skewed way too cis white male. And I knew that in order to pull off some kind of documentary film feature about the queer experience and the sexual experience, there would need to be way more diverse voices. So I expanded the list of questions to get more sort of background information for people. And then I just started to uh, shoot more interviews. And to date, I have 65 interviews that I've filmed. So I have a lot more interviews in the archive waiting to get turned into podcasts. The process is slow because I have a full-time job. Also, I do take a lot of time in crafting each podcast episode. I don't just like throw the raw audio from the interview into a podcast. You know, I, I edit the interview so that it makes story sense and also so that it sort of follows a, uh, a linear timeline for each person's life. 
And then I add music and I introduce it and then I have to also post it and promote it. So there's a lot that goes into the actual work. And I, as I said, I, I do it all myself, mostly because I can't afford to pay anyone else to do it. Not because I don't trust other people, but I don't feel comfortable asking people to do this kind of work for free. And then also lately, I've also been cutting a short video from each person's episode. And that takes about just as long as making an actual podcast episode. So the the sort of podcast and short film production process uh, just takes a lot of time. And the videos I've decided to call Fruit Bites, and those are starting to accumulate on our YouTube channel. So you can watch them there. But that's just sort of a general background behind the creation. Well, I am super grateful that you're so dedicated to making this a reality and in all different forms um, and getting it out there because it's really important stuff. And uh, I'm excited for the audience to just keep growing and growing. So thank you, Dave. Okay, so um, we're going to go back to the beginning um, and watch the film that started it all. We're going to watch Porn Yesterday, and it's about five minutes. I think the first introduction I had to what sex looked like was from porn. 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 I found some Playboy magazines in our attic. Basement. Under a rock. The medicine cabinet came out of the wall. There was a medicine cabinet tucked in an alcove, and I opened it up. I found that there was a treasure trove of hardcore, like smut magazines. Nothing gay. Uh, just guys and girls. Shiny purple G-strings and a lot of acrylic nails. I would block out the girls <laughs> with like pieces of paper so I could just look at the guys. <laughs> the rain had sort of like stuck different pages together but we could kind of tear them apart enough that we could read the articles and look at the pictures. And they had painted the ladies all red, white, and blue. I was more fascinated by their paint job than I was by their nudity. Everyone who subscribed to GQ also got an automatic subscription to International Mail. International Mail. The International Mail Catalog. The International Mail. <laughs> the International Mail Catalog. Maury had a stack of International Mail catalogs by his bed. Next to my bed, had a stack and it came to you in like a plastic, like a black plastic sleeve so you couldn't really see what the magazine was and every time my mother handed me the mail, she would ask like, what is this? Underwear with the visible penis lines and all of that stuff. It was really cheesy underwear. Mesh, awesome stuff that I could never order. I started to cut out my favorite pictures of underwear models and save them in a manila envelope. We had this old timey, um, TV stand, a VHS holder full of videotapes. And it was just like shoved way back there. And I found it. I was like, oh, cool video for me to watch. And a lot of them were unmarked. It was like some butt beauties or something else. I was like, oh, like Black Beauty. That's my favorite movie. So I started putting the unmarked videotapes in the player. Big, hunkin', strong looking man, just like freeze down, just going to town at this lady. And I'm like, not even paying attention to this little petite girl with like fake boobs. There was a swimming pool with literally like 25, 30 people around it, just genital to mouth back and forth all the way around the swimming pool and that blew my mind. We were graduating from our Catholic grade school and for a celebration they took a lot of us to a Holiday Inn with one male chaperone. We'd watch horror movies all night and then after the parents went to bed we'd put in my friend's older brother's porn. And he rented a porn 
for this group of like 12 boys graduating from the eighth grade. We all watched it as a group. We're all sitting in our sleeping bags and I'm sure everyone was jacking off. And I was more distracted with the room than I was what was going on screen. Back in the day when we had cable, we had a box and there was th three rows of, you know, channels. Emmanuel, I think they were, like they played every single night. Um, that may have been on Cinemax or Skinemax. But if you could push down two at the same time, you may be able to flip over to the Playboy station and get like a grainy view. The first time I ever learned about sex was with my older brother. Or not with my older brother, but when he showed me porn on the internet. We had like this old dial-up modem. And I remember specifically asking if we could look at guys and him looking at me really weird. And I was like, oh, I'm just kidding. I had to only do that when no one else was home because we had one computer in the middle of the house and it was not private. I would print out uh, pictures uh, on my dot matrix. When I would watch porn, I gave myself strikes. It's like, you're only allowed to watch this three times. Some bullshit. Who was looking at all this gay porn? <laughs> My mom did have a Playgirl magazine, and I remember it specifically because it had uh, Peter Lupus, who was the big muscle guy in the original uh, Mission Impossible show. He was so hot. Turns out, my brother was also gay, and I didn't know that at the time, so it could have also been him. Found out later that my brother was also looking at that same magazine, too. Why don't they have Play Girl? They do. They do? <laughs> um, it makes my face hurt to watch it because I smile so much. Um, I'm going to bring on Lee. Uh, Lee, who along with me was one of the first round of 18 people who were interviewed for porn yesterday. Um, and we're super excited that you're here today. Hi, Lee. Hi, everybody. I'm, I'm also so excited to be here. Um, like Sam, have been such a huge fan of Fruitful, the concept, and all of the content that's come out um, over the past few years or so. Um, so it's just a great, uh, great to be able to be a part of this conversation today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Just say a couple things so people know who you are. Sure. So my name is Lee. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. I identify as a queer, genderqueer, non-binary, fat, and chronically ill person. Um, I've lived in Seattle for about two and a half years. I grew up on the East Coast outside of New York, so come at me if you want to talk about bagels, Italian food, whatever. I'm really here for these conversations. Let me see what else. Um, shout out to Queer Scouts. Uh, here in Seattle, I'm super involved in Queer Scouts. Um, big fan of Food Dollar Bill Cinema and Translation Film Festival, and that covers it. Yeah. That's a lie. That's something. So, uh, Lee, what was your experience like being interviewed for porn yesterday? For I know some of you in the real world. So for those of you who don't know, so Sam um, and Danny, who's not on this right now, are my, are my pretty close friends. I met them doing volunteer work at $3 Bill when I first moved here. And I didn't know anybody, and it was super lonely. Um, and so they were the ones who encouraged me to, like, link up with Dave and record. And so... I think I was just coming home from pet sitting and I was leaving for a queer sets camping trip, like literally minutes after the interview ended. So it was like this really chaotic, like hour. So the interview itself was kind of a blur. And especially now, like so many months later, like it's hard to kind of like remember like the feelings of doing it. But every time I listen 
um, to, to the interview, you know, like I, I get a little bit of a flashback to that day. Yeah. My experience was, I was like, Dave, pick me, Dave, pick me, pick me. I want to talk about these things. Dave, when can I talk? Um, and then having him over at my apartment that was 20 feet wide by 10 feet long in my tiny little twin loft bed was a fun challenge to figure out how to film that. But yeah, I was just like, so excited that anyone wanted to hear what I had to say about these things that I've spent years trying to figure out. It was a really fun time for me. Um, Okay. Hey, Lee, what did it just feel like uh, watching the film with an audience? It's cool. Like, okay, so a little backstory. I was a ball of anxiety for other reasons, like not related to fruit bowl, but I was too anxious to go watch myself on the big screen. So I missed it. And it wasn't until I went back into the studio and recorded some commentary and other content with Dave that we finally watched it together. And I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Um, so this is my first time actually watching it with an audience. So thank you all for doing, you know, participating, showing up today so we could do this together. It was cool. It was cute. It's still so fun. And it just never fails to bring a smile to my face um, when I watch it. So I'm really happy totally. we did it. Yeah, I love watching it with an audience because I like hearing them laugh at me. It just feels real good. See, we all have things to learn. I learned that Playgirl is a thing. Do you have other takeaways that that you wanted to chat about from your experience with Fruit Bowl? Yeah. So as I sort of implied, I was in that like original class or cohort of interviewees. And then I've gone back into the closet with Dave um, on a couple of occasions to do some commentary and including on my own episode. And so I think this has been such um, like a transformative experience for me to be involved in because I think it's so rare that we have platforms like this to discuss sex and sexuality, especially queer and trans sex and sexuality. So not only uh, do I appreciate hearing other people's stories that more like reflect my own like life, um, but listening to myself is like, a nice reflection because it's just like a giant calling bullshit on yourself where I listen to myself and I'm like, these are all the places that I've grown since the last time I taped or like, these are the, you know, these are the takeaways or like, these are the places that I'm like being performative and like, you know, have a wound I need to heal. And so it's been this like amazing, amazing opportunity for self growth and like reflection. And I never could have imagined that. I just was like, this is fun. This is sexy. This is chatty. And now it's this, you know, taking on all this other significance for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, one of the things for me that I that I realized about Fruit Bowl and, you know, the projects as a whole is that so much of the time um, people's transness and gender is very much the forefront and um, the, fo- the only focus of discussion uh, and that sexuality and talking about sex tends to be very much secondary or not even really talked about. And so I think that's why Fruit Bowl is so particularly successful, at least for me, because that's totally flipped. Um, And yes, we all inhabit different genders, but that's not actually why we're talking. Like we, it's great. It's, it's all trans new wavy. And that's like my favorite thing. My biggest takeaway would be um, around like how we tell our own stories. Um, That I think was my biggest surprise, like listening to myself. Like I didn't know like that this is, this is like who I am when I'm talking about sex and sexuality. And it just felt like 
more mature, more confident, more present than I really thought I could be in these dialogues. I think for me, the moment that most sticks out is like when I'm whining uh, in my podcast about my, my like long ago ex who like bought a dick for us without talking about it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, this is who I am. And this is my real life. And this is my story to tell. I remember that part from your podcast, because truth be told, I've listened to almost all of them many, many, many times, especially because I now live so far away. I listen to the ones with my friends. Um, And so, yeah, that's the part where you're like, you might want to like consult your partner if you're buying them a dick because they should be consulted in their own pleasure. And I was like, darn, Lee is good. Yeah. So yeah, I totally, I hear what you're saying. I think it, it gave us an opportunity to reflect on things that we just, we've been living and not actually talking about. Because it's, it's not just that we're not having these conversations like in the public setting. It's like, are we having the conversations with ourselves? Like, are we talking about the, like, are we having internal dialogue, like after a breakup or after like a fling ends or something? I think it's just such like a good opportunity for like, self-reflection, getting in real deep with like who you are as a sexual person. Plus really fun and funny at the same time. But Plus fun and funny and lighthearted and the whole, yeah, all of that good stuff too. Like we don't want to discount that. Totally. Yeah, it's got layers. Okay. But one question uh, that Dave had asked me was, why I removed some sections from my interview. So Dave's really nice and he records the whole thing, obviously, and then you get to listen to it before he posts it online. And so I was listening to it actually in his closet with him while I was co-hosting. And I just was like, what is the word? Gobsmacked? (laughs) I've never used that word before. I was just like, I cannot believe I said that out loud. Um, And I'm not going to tell you what it was because it's too embarrassing. Um, but I think that's just a nod to how how great Dave is at conducting these interviews and making you feel safe and comfortable. And like, he's so non-judgmental and he just wants to give you a platform to talk about this stuff. Um, and so even if you didn't hear it, I know what it was and sorry, you're not going to know, but I just wanted to mention that that uh, that process is collaborative in, in the final edit. You can definitely say never mind. Um, and I appreciate that. So thank you, Lee, for chatting with us. And we'll see you again in the Q&A. Now we're going to dive into season two. Uh, Dave, can you talk about your goals with season two? Yeah. So I already kind of touched on this. I had some big goals because I knew I wanted to move on with the project and, and make a documentary feature. And as I mentioned, I knew that I would need a much more diverse panel of queer voices. And then also more diversity with regards to where people are living or where they're from. Uh, I didn't really ask people much about their background for season one. So in seasons two, I, I pretty much doubled the amount of questions I asked. And I spend like a good 10 or 15 minutes at the beginning of each interview now, just going over people's personal history and where they actually were when they were at the height of their sort of sexual discovery. Um, And you might notice in season two, a lot of people at the front of their interview, they say what year they graduated high school. And I do that just so that it kind of places the listener at a time in people's lives when they're sort of at that stage of adolescence, just as a sort of a baseline. 
uh, so people can kind of relate to where they were when they were in high school around the age of 18. Um, in the different places that I've gone so far, I, I still am continuing interviews here in Seattle, but I've gone to San Francisco twice now. I've been to LA and New York City for purposes of, of shooting interviews. And each time I go to a different place, I usually uh, shoot about six or seven interviews all within a, about a week's time. So it's pretty intense, but I love it. So, um, you know, after all of this uh, coronavirus stuff manageable, or if it's passed, hopefully, um, I'm going to start to get back out there and continue interviewing in the hopes of achieving my 100 person goal. Cool. So uh, along with season two, you mentioned before the fruit bites, uh, the short little clips from the interviews that are used on social media. And we're going to check out the first one. It's Nayland's fruit bite video. I just want to mention that the reason I chose Nayland, I have actually other people, but Nayland identifies as non-binary. So I just wanted to put that out there. Growing up, I loved the Adams Family TV show. Gomez and Morticia, they're just constantly like touching each other and dancing together. And it's clear that Gomez and, and Morticia fuck, like happily. And they have a dungeon in the house. <laughs> if somebody can't laugh during sex, we're gonna have a problem. There is something about sex that is joyous, but it is also ridiculous. The ability to keep it light allows you to eventually go deeper because you know that it's not an all or nothing situation. I think that you can get further and be more intimate with somebody when you're not acting like this is the most important thing on earth. We're taught that it is this super important thing, like it's the culmination of human connection. And yet, often, we're not allowed to practice it, so you're supposed to automatically know how to do it. And if it doesn't work out for them, then there must be something inherently wrong with them, because anyone else would know how to do this kind of natural thing. So you have a really hard time developing skills in relationship to that because you don't get to practice and you don't get to acknowledge failure for what it is. It's like a failure, but it's not an, a total failure. Kinky people know that the thing that they are doing is complicated and potentially dangerous. So they have to get consent around it and they have to practice it. One of the reasons why I teach kink classes is that I'm too old to sleep with boring people. You know, at least I can train people to be, like, more interesting in a class. Uh, so that's Nayland. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I'm just telling you, I love how different everyone's stories are. Like, I am way too boring for Nayland. <laughs> oh, don't say that. <laughs> we all have different, you know, different things that we want to do. And I'm, I'm proudly as vanilla as a queer trans person can possibly be. Right. Um, <laughs> I feel uh, vanilla too. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Okay. So you talked a bit about already, you talked about the goal with the fruit bites. Was there another thing you wanted to mention about that before we dive into the next section, Dave? Basically, the fruit bites are a way for me to play with the, the visual medium, because I do shoot everyone's interview. 
And they're a way to help promote the podcast. Really, it's just an experimental ground for, for what I think the, the documentary feature might eventually look like. So Plus, they're fun. They're so fun to edit. And I have to say, I, I do want to mention, like, at the conclusion of each interview that I do for Fruit Bowl, I do shoot video of people dancing in their apartments um, if they if they want to, if they feel comfortable doing that. And it's so that I have B-roll. But I have to say, like, of while editing the Fruit Bites and also the, the final credit sequence of Porn Yesterday, that's kind of my personal favorite part is watching people dance um in slow motion i it's so fun to edit people dancing and i think Nayland's an amazing dancer by the way <laughs> <laughs> well i remember you told me that um most people actually pick the same music that i picked the robin song is that what you chose yeah it was the robin song god i love that song dancing um, my own. yeah uh, our next fruit bite video is anders video my first crush was probably Robin Hood and Maid Marian from Disney's Robin Hood, like the foxes. Both Maid Marian and Robin Hood. <laughs> I call myself a pansexual, transmasculine, solo polyamorous kinkster pup. <laughs> I was assigned female at birth and I started transitioning a number of years ago. I have slightly different bits than I used to have. I have a flatter chest than I used to have, which is very exciting. So there's a lot of different options for lower surgeries. What I've had is what's called metoidioplasty, and I've had a scrotoplasty. Metoidioplasty is something that's called a clitoral release, and so essentially some of the ligaments that hold your junk back um, are released, and so you get a little bit more length and can be more physically similar to like what's considered a cis penis. And then scrotoplasty is I've had uh, my labia turn into a scrotum. I haven't had urethral lengthening, which means I still have to sit and pee, and I still have the vaginal cavity. So basically I have all the things, which is amazing. How I interacted with sex like had to change. A lot of things that people feel like they need to do is really intense for me, and it does create like some pain, but I also really like pain. When negotiating a scene or kink or something with someone, instead of saying, okay, I want you to tie me up, then I want you to flog me, then I want you to do this. Instead of saying all of that, you instead say, I really want to feel like humiliated and degraded and hurt. And then when we're done, I would really like to feel like held and taken care of. People will interact with you differently if they know how you want to feel versus, you know, a step-by-step -step of what you want them to do. Some men have vaginas and some don't. There's some incredible girl cock out there, and people really need to get in on that because it's the best. <laughs> awesome. So now I'm excited to welcome Anders to our discussion. Hi, Anders. Thank you for being here today. Thanks, Sam. It's good to be here. <laughs> uh, can you introduce yourself? Some details that for people who don't know you. Uh, I feel like I was pretty detailed in that, but yeah. Um, let's see. I'm Anders. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I've been in Seattle about 11 or 12 years at this point. So long enough to where I can grumble about how things have changed, but still not a native and uh, ended up meeting you there and Dave and just, yeah. It's awesome. Well, I'm really glad that you're here and I'm so happy that you got involved in um, the podcast. I didn't even know until I saw 
a fruit bite. And I was like, oh my God, it's Anders. <laughs> um, so uh, what was that like watching your video with an audience? Uh, it, it was really cool, but also a little nerve wracking because I'm pretty explicit in there and everything. And like one thing that a lot of trans folks don't like to talk about is like their bodies and genitals and things like that. But that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be interviewed was to explicitly go into that. I spent a lot of my time reaching out to newer trans folks that are trying to get a sense of what's out there. So that wasn't necessarily for cis folks. It was more for like trans folks to know what options are. Yeah, well, I... I am grateful that you are willing to be candid um, and honest in the ways that um, I think we all are in in our interviews, but like you were willing to go there. And I'm just so grateful because I think a lot of people don't know that stuff. And I live in a bubble where I'm like, I do know all that. So it's just, it's another way that this podcast can not only like educate people, but also inspire people who are like, I have feelings about my body and, oh, this person did this. So I just think I commend you for being brave. Um, and I really appreciate you talking about it. And um, I wonder if that's part of why you had a second interview. I know that, that you had two. Do you, can you explain to us why you wanted to record again? Yeah, the first one was a little bit of a whirlwind. And I was afterwards just kind of like, wait, what did I say? What did I do? And I wasn't sure if I'd given all the details I necessarily wanted to give. And so I asked Dave if we could do a second one so I could just make sure that I uh, touched on more details. Totally. Um, I also just wanted to say, like, as I said, I identify as a vanilla person. And so it was just like so cool to hear how you talked about I want you to do this, this and this, but saying how you want to make it want it to make you feel. Mm -hmm. um was just it was just really cool to learn about that yeah it's something that I think is relatively well known in some parts of the kink community but I feel like everybody could take a lot from that whether you're kinky or not can I mention something funny from both of your interviews yeah both of your parents gave you the same book as a child about sex education yeah where did I come from yeah, yeah. With the cute drawings. God, I love that book. I recommend that for anyone who's who's watching. Check it out. Where did I come from? It's like cartoony people and they're in this little tiny bed with a patchwork quilt and it's just amazing. I could go on, but I will stop myself for the sake of time. Cool. Thank you, Anders. Let's dive into Jice. Non-binary is gender fluid, so I live in this kind of gray zone. That feels really comfortable for me. When I started to like experiment with like same-sex relationships was um, in high school, and this person was like a year younger than me. I think we had a mutual friend. I remember we were with a bunch of friends, like having a bonfire on the beach, and like we walked down a little ways to like a darker area and um, made out on the beach, like laying down. It's like one of those memories that is so vibrant for me still because it was like a, a moment of like blooming. When I was first coming out was like, I didn't feel gay enough because I had dated men. I like to say that I experimented with heterosexuality because <laughs> no one ever says it like that. <laughs> when I was coming into more of an understanding of like, 
I think I'm non-binary or like on this trans spectrum, that I had to look a certain way to do that. I didn't feel like I was, you know, non-binary enough or trans enough. A friend of mine at the time talked to me about that and was like, you're enough. However you identify, however you present, it's enough. I love the idea of like sex positivity, this like radical self-love. I think it's really beautiful and I think that I'm trying to practice that as much as possible because I think there is still like a lot of shame associated with sex and I hate that. I think it's all about experimenting really. You don't have to have it all figured out. Being part of like the queer community is about labeling yourself but also being able to like break out of all the things that we've been conditioned to be. So please join me in welcoming Jai. Hello, Jai. Hey, Sam. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's so great to be here. Yeah. Um, can you do any kind of introduction <clears throat> of yourself that you'd like to do? Sure. Hey, I'm Jai. I use they, them pronouns. Um, yeah, I'm queer and non-binary, you know all the things that I talked about labeling and also don't want to label. So complicated, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I find it's a combination of all the labels and then saying no more labels. Right? Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're really glad that you're with us today. Um, and I, I'd like to hear how your experience was being interviewed for Fruit Bowl. Um, maybe something surprised you, anything like that? Yeah, um, I think... It was such a great experience. It's such a wholesome experience uh, for me because I, I've known Dave, I think since we both moved to Seattle in 2016. So we both, and I started kind of in the film community uh, around that time. And, and so that's how we met each other. So I think already knowing him in the periphery of, of like Seattle queer culture was helpful um, to sit down and have an, an interview with someone that I, I kind of knew. Um, and yeah, he just made the space so welcoming and it was, it's my first time talking about sex in like a public kind of private forum. Um, I think interviewing for a podcast, it's, it, it's a, it's a public forum, but it's also so personal and private because so many people are just listening to them, you know, while they're doing chores around the house or whatever. Um, and that's something I really love about, um, how do we create community um, with these kind of podcasts that are, can be taken into like the public and private spaces. Um, so yeah, I, it was, it was a cool experience. I think that, um, it was also, a you know, it was fun to talk about sex and my stories and like what that looks like, because I've only really spoken to that with like good friends of mine or my partners. Um, so it was a, it was a big, like, kind of you jumping off a cliff and you're like, okay, well, see how this goes. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. It's not scary at all. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the same thing I said to Anders, I'd, I'd, I'd say for all of us, which is I'm just really grateful that we all were willing to be vulnerable uh, and talk about these things because I hope that people who hear it it can help in some way or validate them or, you know, have them mm. start thinking about something in a way that maybe they were never challenged to think about before. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Was there anything surprising from your interview um, that you were like, I just said that. 
Um, oh, yes. I <laughs> I actually listened to the um, rough cut of the interview at work because <laughs> I wanted to get it quickly back, you know, to Dave. And so I was listening to it at work and I just remember hearing the word fingering. And I was just like, oh my God, like, uh, did I, like, why is that word like sticking out to me? Why is that like such a weird word to me? I want to like normalize this stuff. That's why I wanted to do the interview. And so I was like, should I tell Dave I don't want that in there? And I was like, I, no, it's fine. Like, <laughs> I think it's just like me talking about it, that I'm like, oh, this is so awkward. And why? and then I'm obviously like, why am I analyzing this so much? So, cause I hear other people talk about it and I'm like, oh yeah, cool. They're like talking about that. I love hearing their like transparency and I want to you know, walk the walk, practice what I, what some of the other people are practicing. So yeah, (laughs) I don't know why that word, you know, (laughs) you know, it stuck out to me too from every time I've heard it in any of the interviews, because it's just not a word that I personally use. Um, But I was like, yeah, maybe I should just hear it more and then it'll just be regular. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Jai. Thank you. Um, and uh, we'll hear from you a little more in our Q&A coming up very soon. Our last uh, one of the Fruit Bites is RC. This is a world premiere and RC has not even seen this final version. So I'm excited to premiere it right now. When I was little, my mom was doing my hair. I remember I was 12. And the extent of the talk that my mother gave me was, RC, boys only want one thing from you. Don't give it to them. (laughs) When my niece came to visit, she asked me and my, my partner, what is sex? And we drew out a diagram for her. And we're like, look, this is how it happens. I think that a lot of us queers that had parents that did not give us the sex talk would want to pay that forward, you know, in a way like, hey, this is something I didn't get, so let me just do you one solid. I had a teddy bear. I still have this teddy bear. This teddy bear is 35 years old. And this teddy bear's nose used to have fuzz on it. I learned how to masturbate on my teddy bear. Once I learned how to do it, I haven't stopped. (laughs) Like, I seriously, it's one of the only things in my life that I've done consistently for decades. In my teenage years, I was like a walking ball of hormones. And then when I transitioned and I started hormones, testosterone is a hell of a drug. Holy shit, it makes you do some things that you're just kind of like, wow, you did that for the D? For real? I've always been attracted to men and women. I date women, you know, my partner is a woman, but a lot of my sexual like activities happen with men because I'm still queer as fuck, you know? Like, it's kind of funny to think about, but I've always had a fascination with dicks. I don't know why, it's just... (laughs) As much sex that I've had with men, I've never been in love with another guy. Go out and have more sex and be more fucking sexual. Stay true to yourself because you're the only person that you're going to like be with for the whole journey, you know? Like just, you know, be true to yourself. All right. So, hey, RC, thank you so much for being here today. Would you like to give yourself an introduction? Sure. 
Okay, um, my name is RC. I go by he, they, and uh, sometimes girl when it's appropriate, you know, when he's pretty, pretty scalding. Um, I'm a musician. I lived in Seattle for 15 years. I live in Oakland now. Uh, I've been here for about four years. Uh, well, we're really happy you're here um, to join us today. And I, I'm grateful that you were willing to be like, yeah, sure. Show a thing that I haven't seen yet. How was that experience for you? I, I think David did a really great job. I, like everyone else, felt very nervous after my interview. Like, oh my goodness, did I sound like a complete like jerk? You know, what did I say? What? I hope my parents never hear this because I do talk <laughs> a lot about them. Why did my parents' sex life shape my sex life so much? Just et cetera, et cetera. You know, things to talk to your therapist about. But like other folks, I feel it's important for our stories to be told, no matter what they look like or sound like. So, you know, it's nice to be a part of that. It's humbling. And, you know, Dave, David did a great job. Dave, it's just so cute. It's very cute and it very much like uh, captures uh, at least an aspect of my personality. So I thought, good, great job. It was great. It was very, it was painless. I thought it would be painful, at least a little <laughs> nerve wracking, but it was painless. It was great. Yay. I'm so glad to hear that because I loved it. Uh, I literally just finished listening to your podcast and I love the parts that, that Dave chose for the fruit bite. Those are just some really good gems. Mm -hmm. um, did you want to share any um, other takeaways that you've had from the experience so far that, that have occurred to you? I think that the first thing is how important this work is and how I want to like see it thrive and how important it is that it thrives because you know you put this on the internet it's there forever and then there's an oral history of, of queer sex for as long as you know things exist somebody in like 40 25 is gonna like open this up and be like wow you know cool <laughs> you know <laughs> so um that's it that that is one takeaway yeah uh, but the, I think the biggest takeaway is that, you know, it was fun. You know, just the little piece that I can do to, to create and shape queer history. One thing I think RC articulated really well was when you helped your niece and you described sex to your niece. And I'm really glad that I put that part in your video because I thought that that was a real touching part of your podcast episode to me too, was that you were made a point of, of trying to pay it forward and have those difficult conversations in a way that is uh, centered in, in a more diverse uh, language. That's not just the mechanical <laughs> sex education that we all get in school that has like literally nothing about emotional context or anything, which I think is a mistake. Um, and, and I feel like that's also part of the reason why I'm doing this project is to pay it forward. Cause I, I tell everybody that this project is the project that I wished I'd seen when I was first coming out and had no fucking idea what I was doing, you know? And, and I feel like you articulated that really well in your discussion about your conversation with your niece. Oh, thanks. It, it was definitely fun. Um, as fun as 
talking about like everything. Like I, she, she hit me with every question, like where the babies go. First she, she said, what's a vagina piercing? And I was like, where did you see that? Like, why would you ask me that out of nowhere? Like what prompted that? And she's like, I saw something at the lake. It was a sign. And I was like, what sign has that on it? Like really? Anyway, so she got the gamut of like, this is the real. And, you know, like, I think all of us try to try to do that in our lives in some way, shape or form. Just be completely real and honest with the queer youth and even the the youth that are not necessarily queer, you know, as much as you can be. Awesome. Well, that brings us to our Q&A portion of the afternoon. I have here some of the questions from our audience. I'm just reading through them. And then I'll shout them out. We have a question from Ruby. Thanks, Ruby. Uh, For Dave, why did you choose to call it Fruit Bowl and not something more innuendo-filled or punny or explicitly sexual? Well, the unfortunate truth is that anything that's explicit these days gets flagged immediately by social media watchdogs. And I think that I've already been banned from Facebook in a in a sort of a, a phantom way like I think that somebody at some point complained about the content so the the posts themselves get throttled I, I thought of it as a title that was sort of fun and and was it had a little bit of innuendo just because I also in the marketing branding of, of fruit bowl use the eggplant and the peach and the cherries as a sort of uh, coded text of of what Fruitful is about, um, but but I always do say an oral history of queer sex that follows the fruitful title. So I feel like together sort of uh, explains what the whole mission of it. I also thought of fruit cakes. Um, I like the idea of fruits being a coded word for for queer people. Yeah, you know, I I don't think it's the best title. It's just the title that I settled on. <laughs> Other questions we have. So I'm not sure who this is from. Uh, It says, Lee talked about this a bit, but we would love to know from all the interviewees, was there anything that surprised you during or after the interview? Were there any unexpected emotions, revelations, or regrets about what you shared? I think that after my interview was done, I was like, oh, well, it kind of feels like, I don't know what the the word is for it, but you kind of have like, an emotional hangover, like when you realize that it's going to kind of be out in the world. And it's something that I think we've all been conditioned to think is, is extremely personal. And I think in many ways it is, but I think I, I personally would like to see sex talked about more openly, publicly. Um, and so we, when, when the interview was over, I was like, okay, well, that feels like a lot, but also it feels like so important to share as many diverse stories as possible and I was like honored to be included in in the array of diversity that um, Dave was um, interviewing for. I do just want to mention that well when I first interview people I have them sign a release form you know so technically I don't have to get their permission for releasing anything after that but I know kind of what you just said Jai that there is a bit of a, a hangover and and a a panic about what you did or didn't say and and whether or not you actually want to disclose that. So I do insist that everyone I interview before I post their 
their video and, and podcast episode that they review the content. So to just make sure that they're okay with it. And, and I do have a few people remove some things here and there, which is to me, it's totally fine because I am not interested in, in re-traumatizing people and, and having the experience be a negative one. I feel like it should only really be a positive experience. I just have a funny anecdote, you know, so Sam and I, ended up featured fairly prominently in the Hump trailer the year that the short was submitted. And I shared it on my Facebook or, you know, social media channels or whatever. And I started, I got a phone call from my, my sister and who was like, were you in porn? Like, what is going on? Um, so I think like, so it was pretty interesting to hear from straight people uh, some of my straight friends from high school saw me in in the film and hump and definitely like worked through a ton of shame and, you know, I'm putting this out there and like, how do I de- grapple with that and like integrate that into like my being? I, I, I discounted that the straights would ever find it. So I think that was like my one, uh, my one thing that I, I might've considered a little bit. I, not in a censoring way, but just like, who would have thought that my parents would have found out? I don't know. It's very funny to me now. Uh, we have two questions that are actually really similar, um, and I just wanted to share them. So Jason says, uh, what is the age range of your subjects, and is there a minimum age that you would interview? How different is it to interview younger folks than older folks? And then we also had a question along the same lines of age um, from Ruby, who said, would you ever want to interview younger people who are in the thick of their sexual awakenings to get that perspective? Or do you think it's more valuable to get matured slash explored perspectives? Um, And then the other thing along that, thank you, Kathleen, for putting these together, was um, we also just got a really great comment from Angelina who says, hey there, I'm a young person just coming out and not knowing what the fuck they're doing. So thank you so much for doing this project. It really means a lot. I'm glad you found us, Angelina. That's awesome. Uh, So Dave, anything you wanna say about um, age range? That's a really good question because this is something I didn't really think about when I first started because honestly, like if anybody wants to be interviewed, I agree to it. I have never, turned anyone away. The only reason I would do that is for logistical reasons. Um, like maybe they're in another town or I, I can't get there, but I am keeping lists of people who express interest, but I hesitate a little to interview anyone under the age of say 26, because I feel like there isn't the kind of uh, distance from your adolescence. And I feel like even myself personally, my twenties were still a process of discovery for me. But now that I think about it, I feel like with queer people especially, and, and, and this is something that I've discovered along the way, is that I feel like queer people are in a constant state of self-discovery and, and reanalysis about how we relate to sex and other people sexually. Here's the thing. I think that I could actually make two separate documentary films. One that's more reflective about your personal history and where you've been and how far you've come. And then one that's also about what's happening in the immediate now and what's going on in your life in the terms of the early developmental processes. And, and I feel like those two ideas are hard to combine um, and, and to give them each 
the attention that they deserve. So I could maybe see doing a series after Fruitful is completed that's more either about the adolescent experience as it's being experienced in the here and now. Another idea I had was to do a project like this, but do it in a more international way and go to different countries. I feel like those three things are, they're, they're worthy of a completely separate project. And for now, I, I really only have the ability to, to work on one. So, and you know what? I think that there's probably a lot of documentaries that are about more adolescents in the discovery of their sexuality. So maybe in the future. Yeah, start a list if you right. don't have one already. <laughs> but yeah, there's so many different different ways that this could evolve. Um, and it feels like it's it's just a, a jumping off point. Um, and that maybe feels overwhelming to you, but I think it's very exciting. Well, the thing um, is that, like, I do think that young people get something out of hearing older queer people talk about their developmental years and the perspective they have as adults on that very difficult time. If if I were young and hearing those stories, I would, I would, I think I would feel better because I knew that it wasn't just happening to me about how hard it is. I'm going to jump to another question from John. Why did you decide to broaden your interviewees to include LGBT instead of focusing on gay men and the variety within gay men? You know, uh, a few people asked me that um, when I first started to try to, to branch out and get more perspectives. They, I remember specifically one person saying, like, why don't you just make it about gay men, you know, and focus in on that one group? That does not interest me. And as a documentary filmmaker, mostly because I feel like there's so much of what we all experience that is a commonality. Um, And that's what I love so much about doing a project that is way more diverse in terms of its subjects is is showing what unites us and, and how similar our experiences are. And then also showing how different two people are who you think would have had the same experience. And I can't wait to make the documentary feature to start to show the connecting of the dots in that way. Totally. Uh, And that actually leads into a question from Mocha James. Uh, Mocha said, I'm fascinated by the random commonalities, such as the secret medicine cabinets and a reliance on the International Mail magazine. What were some other interesting commonalities that you found? Oh, yeah, I love this question. I actually wrote down some of these. Um, Well, one commonality is that rarely do any of us have parents who speak to us about sex. That is an almost universal experience. um, And it it is unfortunate. But I understand it as well. Um, I mentioned like you and Anders both viewed the same book that their parents like a lot of time parents give give us media to look at and books to read that's what happened to me my dad gave me a pamphlet about sex so that that's something similar another similarity and this is something that i'm sure most sociological or health experts would know but but cis women are often way more sexually advanced than men are um that's something that's played out consistently from interview to interview um, which I also find fascinating. Do you mean like um, puberty is earlier? Is that what you mean? Um, I don't know if it's puberty necessarily, but certainly masturbation happens way sooner for for cis women. Yeah. One thing that I thought was really interesting in general, and I again, I don't have the same 
um, perspective on this as Dave, who has spent a lot of time with this material, um, but I have listened a lot. Uh, one of the things is an innate sense that these things are shameful. Yeah. Um, and I found that super interesting. Like, how are we, I don't, I don't know if we're actively taught that. I mean, yeah. maybe within certain religious contexts or something, but. I don't um, think it has to be religious. That was the third thing that I had on my list was um, one thing that's super kind of sad to me is, is that many of us actually have parents who are not homophobic and who are accepting of queer people. And a lot of people I've interviewed have queer uh, siblings, but it's still hard for them. You know, in our culture, there's this assumption that if we have parents that are accepting of queer people, then it's easy to come out to them. And that is not true. And I, that, that to me has been a big revelation. And again, something that makes me fight so hard for the project is to just put positive messaging out there. You know, not, not all positive. I mean, people talk about really difficult things in the podcast, which I think is super important. But um, I just feel like if, if we have parents who are super liberal and, and accept queer people and we're still not comfortable coming out to them, it just must be, you know, the, the culture as a whole, because we grow up in a straight centered culture. That's probably the reason why we all have such insecurities about coming out earlier in life and being more honest about where we're at. It's fascinating. And I, I don't know, I don't know the answer, but I do know that it's really common. Um, and anyway, I'm not a sociologist, I'm not a therapist, but I just, I think it's really interesting. And it's one of those things where on the one hand, it feels positive to have other people experiencing the same thing as you. And on the other hand, negative, because it's like, why do we feel this way? So I thought that was really interesting that it was just across the board, um, a commonality. Okay. One question is, it seems that urban centers are a good place for density and more interviews in one location. Um, also community anonymity um, and potentially more subjects, but have you made any attempts to talk to folks in rural areas and what might that look like? Yeah, this is super important to me. And um, unfortunately it's something that's very difficult to do right now for obvious reasons. Um, but. I, I feel super passionate about this because I'm from from a small town in Kansas, and and actually, it's I want to go back to my hometown and interview people there, and I feel like that would be a good in for me. I also very much want to go to the south. I don't feel like I have enough uh, representation from the southern part of the country. There's always room for more diversity, and honestly, if if it meant going past my hundred person interview goal, I would do it because um, I do want a good distribution of, of voices, but not everybody wants to go on camera and talk about their sex lives. So um, it it's a process. It's definitely a process of, of trying to find people. For sure. I'm shocked that I did it. I'm still shocked that I did it. <laughs> so you've got it in you, lots of people, <laughs> but also no pressure. Um, so um, I just wanted to let anyone on the panel, did you have any last burning thoughts that you were like, oh, I didn't get to say this. I want to give you an opportunity to, to pipe in again, if you'd like. 
I will say that something that I noticed was um, even though my interview wasn't that long ago, the evolution of myself in the last, I don't know, four or five months uh, was, it, it was significant, you know, and I could only imagine having uh, interviewed years ago or like earlier in my queerness or whatever and how that would evolve. And Dave, something that might be interesting is like maybe following someone from youth to like, that would be a long-term project, but like at like 15 year type of project, but that'd be kind of cool too. See how it evolves throughout the, uh, the lifetime. Are you comfortable sharing like one or two things from your interview that you're like, whoa, I would answer that differently now? Maybe the the question about how I identify, because it's like pansexual, queer, non-binary, this, 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 and this. And all of those identities are very valid and very much me. I've I've, I've been thinking about this and part of me is like, I just kind of want to identify as queer and say I'm fluid because it changes so much every day Mm -hmm. that I'm kind of like, it's hard to like say everything every time because like who knows in two months I could totally just change tomorrow I could change so I'm trying like that's something that I've noticed is the switch from like acknowledging and respecting like I can categorize myself and I have labels that I can actually put to my experience and my identity and that I'm privileged enough to live in a lifetime where that is true Um, and also privileged enough to live in a lifetime where I'm like okay and now that I have these labels I'm just going to toss them out the window Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, so yeah I think that is honestly you know everything I'm like it's my story it's my truth I'm not I'm not really ashamed of it like some of it might be hard for people to hear some of it might be hard for the people involved to hear but um, it's me you know like and I'm working on accepting all of me the good the bad the not so pretty I mean that really resonates with me as well because when I've listened to the newer interviews I've been like hey I didn't get to talk about that question or whoa I've really changed a lot since that particular question so Dave just a suggestion encouraging follow-ups but I'm, you know I, I think that's a whole other all of wax but maybe it's something that could be done on social media or shorter smaller kind of projects um if you are interested in being interviewed dave is is always looking for new folks you can email dave dave what email address do you want to give uh dave at freequillpodcast.com cool very professional (laughs) um so or if you have questions about it like anything dave's like just email me um And if you enjoyed the podcasts, uh, if you enjoyed our talk today, please tell your friends, um, consider writing a review. These are all really great ways to help uh, the project grow and gain more of an audience. And with that, thank you so much for joining us today. This was super fun. Yay. Thank you, Sam. Of course, you're welcome. Thanks again to $3 Bill Cinema for hosting the Fruit Bowl panel. 
They've always been a huge supporter of my work and my filmmaking and, of course, right now for my podcasting efforts. I want to encourage listeners to maybe donate to them and help support them this year. I just think that $3 Bill plays such an important role in our community here in Seattle. And in order to help support local filmmaking and especially, of course, queer filmmaking. So if you are interested in giving to them, I will post a link to their website in the show notes to this episode. Make sure to check out fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can find an archive of past episodes and links to our social media, including our YouTube channel, which features all of the Fruit Bite videos that you've heard in this episode. If you'd like to help support Fruit Bowl, please write us a review, tell your friends, and check us out on Patreon. Please check out our podcast promotional partners. Matt Baum's The Sewers of Paris. Dennis Hensley's Dennis Anyone. Drew and Glenn's Gayest Episode Ever and Dave and Alonzo's Linoleum Knife Podcast. I also want to give a shout out to a website, Tickle.life, which is a platform that celebrates queer sexuality, and they've added Fruit Bowl as one of their contributors. So I'm really excited about this partnership, and um, I really appreciate their help in promoting the podcast and, and tweeting for us and doing a lot of shout outs to our content. So yeah, check out Tickle.life. Fruit Bowl is produced by Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.